in our final episode of Why Work Season 1, we continue on with a friendship. Why can't we be friends? Episode 12 challenges cultural approaches to conflict. That emotional experience is a reality. We are emotional beings. We set our emotions in motion. In workplace law, Alan reminds us that workers might not realize that they're triggering emotional responses. Sensory processing, we'll look at that. And all those sensory overloads as a result of the pandemic, we explore the stresses we must design for sensory needs and performance. So the Why Work podcast invites you to explore the unusual but possible human experience of work. Join in, you'll like it. Sarah Bazell and Alan Girl. This whole concept of respect is uh, doesn't get talked about enough because respect doesn't mean like. So you can respect a co-worker and treat them with respect, but you don't have to like them. You're talking my language in terms of Americans uh, culturally can handle conflict fairly well where you can debate an issue, mm. disagree about an issue, but not dislike the person mm. also, you know, the other the other yeah. extreme. And whereas I find culturally, maybe Australia, you tell me, Trace, how you find this, somebody does disagrees with an issue, they walk away, you never hear from them again. And you're like, what the <laughs> again, <laughs> At least I'm is... dealing with lawyers who are used to a little bit yeah. of debate, right? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That's, that's your perception, so you're getting back to that case, right. and it's validated and it's valued. It may or may not necessarily be factually correct, but it's your perception and that's important. And your emotional experience is your reality at that time, yeah. and that's important. It's very hard to translate that, but an emotional yeah. experience is somebody's reality. Mm. We're punching in, we're working, we're, we're providing widgets, whether they're virtual or practical. Um, we're all coming in as different emotional atoms, and we're all somehow trying to uh, make well, this what, thing work. What, what you see in a lot of the cases is that a worker hasn't appreciated that they're uh, upsetting or causing emotional distress for another worker. And, mm. and maybe in this NAND case, the workers who were using disparaging language or who it appears they were using disparaging language didn't appreciate the impact that they were having on Mr. Nan. It could have been mateship in their mind. In their uh, mind, I, yes. You know, I, I can't speak to that. Yeah, like, you know, go, was, yeah. Depending right. on what was said and the nature yeah. or the tone and the delivery. And that sort of stuff can get ahead of its own and, and just sort of run away and before you know it, behaviour that was not so bad becomes very bad very yeah, quickly. Yeah, get drunk yeah. Mate, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And, and again, because that policy, what? If you, ever, if you ever knew about the policy, what policy? But by having these practical scenarios in these workshops, these, these vignettes, whilst it may not necessarily guarantee a better outcome, I think you'll have more impact. Stories do matter. The stories do matter because they could, and particularly if they're emotive and powerful, say, look, this could be your uh, your brother or your sister, or you make that, that attachment to them. It's going to be a lot more impactful than say, look, this is our policy, um, points one to 10, um, you know, and this is the law and and, and that's a, a problem I think for a lot of safety professionals really? you know, when you're talking about the emotional experience they're seen as the fun police you know they're seen yep. as um, uh, you know being too staid uh, and you talked earlier about the the challenge of always looking to the negative right 
that risk-based only approach yeah. and hang on, that's not making my party fun anymore, that kind of thing. So yeah. what's the emotional experience even of the uh, role that you play? What's inherent in your role? When you talk about design, that's far more fun <laughs> than containment of risk. Dun, dun. So even though it has to be part of it, it's what's your emotional experience around how you walk into that that business and what's the role that's assigned? What's your assigned role? What's, what? How do people connect with that label, if you will? Innovation around, at the front of house. Yeah. So whilst there may be costs, and sometimes I'm a bit cynical, perhaps it's a cost-related issue or there's no appetite, you know, for employers to to invest mm. in innovation. Oh, they might give lip service to it. Yeah. <laughs> they might go, oh, yes, we'll, we'll look at these things. So, yeah, I think there's got to be that uptake. There's got to be that. And one way is um, if workers are empowered to be part of it. So that whole sort of participatory democratic process would go a long way. Facilitated with yep. science and, and, mm. and research mm. and, and That's right. approach or, you know, legal constructs, etc. Definitely room for accommodation uh, to allow for that whole of design approach. So I'm going to take you on another tangent yeah. for a moment. Um, Trej, Alan, when you're thinking about the emotional experience mm. being a reality, increasingly we're getting some appetite among employers to start thinking about the sensory approaches to work design. So trying to understand how individuals may interpret their sensory world differently, how they respond to lighting, how they respond to acoustics, how they respond to the need for movement, those kinds of elements. And what we tolerate might be different to somebody else and we might not even know it. So the person who can work with a lot of noise in the background or has a television at home versus uh, their colleague who needs that cone of silence, yeah? Mm -hmm. And how agitating that can be. So this is part of the research of Winnie Dunn, and she talks about these sensory processing models. So I went into a workplace, and the worker was about to be fired, and it was an issue of industrial relations and safety, and they didn't know what to do with this very talented computer programmer. They were concerned about some of the meltdowns he was having at work. I wanted to understand what was happening and made complaints about noise in the workplace. They sent him to a doctor. So there's one of your specialists. They also sent him to an audiologist. Canals, working fine. Hearing was working fine. And surprisingly, they sent the referral to me. Normally I work at work at cohorts of workers and system design rather than just an individual. But we got this referral and straight away I said this sounds more like a processing issue and they said what mm. so can I may I do some assessments can I do some assessments can I look at sensory processing and used a psychometric tool and lo and behold this person had what they call either a threshold tolerance that was being exceeded and their behaviors can either be passive or active so they can either really want to avoid a sense type, or they may simply be passive and be agitated because the threshold tolerance is being met. They may want to seek more uh, more stimulation, avoid it. They may just be sensitive to it, or they might not discern a sense against another sense type. So that could be the typical story of the guy where you say, hey, Alan, no response. Alan, oi, Alan, huh? Right? And everyone's frustrated. But in fact, the research shows that that profile, when you can't discern a sense against another sense type, makes you prone to stress and anxiety, right? Mm. So this worker had that low level of discernment, or what's called a high sensory registration, or ex extra low re registration, so yeah. double negative. So they couldn't discern sound 
against other sounds. They also were very sensitive to sound and they actively avoided places where there was a lot of noise, ambient noise. They were sensitive to light and touch because the employer had said, well, I know, put some headphones on them. They didn't like that feeling all the time being on it. Yeah, yeah. And had them in an open plan space. Yep. And meetings were held in a stand-up room, so they get sit-stand, open plan, among yep. a sea of other workers. They had a quiet workroom that you could book downstairs, and it was next to the billiards hall. Mm. Okay? <laughs> so the rec room, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so we yes. were able to show that this was the profile, and there's different strategies to manage this worker. You're able to look at the environmental design, right? Obviously, did you really need me to say, don't put billiards tables right next to the mm. quiet workspace, okay? There was things like squeaky doors and all kinds of things, environmental design, but then you can look at job design, leadership strategies, giving this person plenty of time to absorb what was going to happen in a meeting with an agenda, written instructions of what their piece were, and a summary of that meeting, and provide it in quiet space or have more one-on-one follow-up with that person, right? And then there are health behavior strategies that this person can do for themselves. I've been called into banks now to have a look at this, and you'll find that the jobs that we gravitate toward tend to align with our sensory profiles, right? This is just what I'm finding anecdotally because the research doesn't exist yet. There's general research about sensory processing. Most of the time we regulate this as children. But now think of a pandemic. All of the things that we used to do in our routines to regulate our neurological world get thrown out the window. You might have walked to work or to the bus before you caught the bus or the train to work, got a little outdoor movement. You might have had certain routines in the workplace, certain spaces that you like to work, and you've already regulated that subconsciously. Didn't even realize that you were doing this to make sure you were performing this. And then we just go, whoops, guess what? All of that's changed. You don't, you don't get a chance to walk, to move. You, maybe you needed that uh, proprioception and stimuli and carry a backpack and feeling in your joints, but you didn't get that now any, anymore. Yeah. So you're going to be stressed, uptight more. So I think there's another opportunity here to look at sensory approaches to work design and whether or not you're prone to stressors, just like this person who's also put into a space of being fatigued that we talked yeah. about and one punch or put into a place where you're feeling like you're being discriminated against. Maybe your threshold tolerance is just right at the surface and you don't have any more resource to tolerate something that might have been comical, fun, or engaging otherwise. So with the designer, what happened? You've Which way? So with, with the one, you've come in with the billiards next door. What happened? They, I'm, I'm dying they, to know. They, they, we were able to advise about the environmental yeah. design improvements, the job yeah. design, the leadership strategies, and the health behaviors. But it, you said it was about to be sacked. What, so what that happened? stopped. That saved yeah. his job. And in a in a uh, a bank, we recently did this. Uh, one of those you know cafe culture, cool, trending banks that are happening everywhere. Yes. Uh, and we concierge. were concierge desks. That's right. And we were able to say, hang on a minute. Your idea of people floating around and using different workspaces needs to include the internal customer, not just the external. Yeah. Meaning, you've designed a funky space for customers to walk into for five minutes, maybe half an hour. But you forgot that your employees, it's not just a commercial retail space, it's an office space. And have you actually designed for their needs? Most likely, most often I'm finding not. Okay. And their sensory needs as well as just job performance needs. I'm sure there's literature now coming out with 
the whole open plan, that was the big the big thing, the open plan. Not anymore. No. Not anymore. So now it's, it's gone back in. Yeah. And so. agile work design related to the tasks yeah. that you need to perform or just being able to accommodate and work from home. And here's the other thing I'm hearing employers say is, well, since we have a work from home strategy, why do we need to still provide quiet thinking space at work? They could just work from home with that. But the problem is during the course of a the day, their job mm. tasks might vary or their sensory processing needs might be such that they perform better with some of that uh, extra space and isolation and quiet space available. So you can't just throw that out. You still have that responsibility anytime you've got people working together in a system. This is quite revolutionary and I I wonder if organisations are um, keeping pace with this and I get the idea that they're not. And if you're going to make a work change, you could quickly do an assessment of sensory profiles and get an an idea of who have you got in this work team and what are their needs based on their, their sensory needs? How do they need to regulate themselves? So how do you mitigate some of the psychosocial hazards? just based on those profiles. Mm. With the computer designer, they reasonably and practically did do things. They sent him off to a doctor and an auditory specialist. And neither one of those recognised that there was a need for a processing assessment. So it was just what I was called in to do was not for sensory processing. I was called in because I was asked, can you help evaluate the noise in the office space? I can. I can run screening. I'm not a noise assessment specialist but I there's certainly apps and tools to do basic screening Hmm. I can look at the decibels and compare it with the standard but why why do you want this your big picture you're looking at the what's what's your interest in calling for me because otherwise I'll refer you to somebody else who does this for you know noise tolerances and building compliance and they then they went on to say we have a worker who's melting down he's complaining about the noise they said you have a group of workers no we have a worker so that was the, ah, yeah. uh, hang on a Trigger. minute. Okay. And he's gone to a doctor. He's gone to an audiologist. He's melting down. Other people say, oh, it's a little bit noisy. And I said, okay, have you checked sensory processing? Nobody had. You don't have to have a disability to have a concern about sensory processing. You might process light and be extra sensitive to light, but have no other sensitivity to another sense type. That's right. It could be movement. It could be crowds. It could be... so. If you start to get a profile, if you have a small team, it's really interesting to just go ahead and conduct a sensory profile and then to go back and evaluate, are we actually designing work well for their needs? See, Alan, a designer is really the best tool, the best evidence. If one had to show cause and say, what did you do? Forget the standard. Forget what the code says. We've gone one notch up because the law does not compel you that you must prescriptively say that, oh, we have the standard says this, you must do it. No, the law will ask, what did you do? Well, standards aside, we incorporated a, a, a design strategist. Sense- and they did. And we did sensory next- profile yeah. assessments, right? That's, that's above and beyond. But it's part of your, it's just one tool in the armament of design discovery. We're obsessed with risk. So we're obsessed with safety. We're obsessed with risk, hazards. No one talks about design and then, of course, design, ergo, overall well-being. We're not talking about design except in that strict definitional sense of what a design is, like a, a boilerplate, you know, or a, a design. that collapses. Yeah, yeah a design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we think about the definition, a designer. Um, so it's this This is being used in that non-technical or non-legal sense. It's actually used in a good work sense. And then that sensory approach leads you to understand what did people say, what did they do when you you verify and validate this is what I found is this your experience they start talking about their experience at work 
So you find out that empathy map. What did they say? What did they do? What did they think? What did they feel? What are their pain points? What are their gains or their pleasure, if you will, at work and yeah. in relation to why they're working, right? What's the purpose yeah. of work and how does it fit within where they're working and what their job entails? And that just suddenly tells a whole profile about a work cohort. Then have some statements around how to improve ongoing design work. Leadership is knowledge, um, upstreaming, due diligence. If you have, for example, a better picture, a better snapshot. And, and the research has shown also that it's not only talking about introverts or extroverts, that that has actually been tested okay. in terms of this is neurological science. So there was, you might assume, oh, I guess all introverts might be sensitive to sensory stimuli. They've, they've evaluated that and found that there were some relationships, but not strong enough to suggest that there is a typical profile of an introvert or an extrovert mm-hmm. and their sensory profile. So imagine being able to have a really fun, strong leadership conversation with a team and assuming the team allows their profile or attributes, just general attributes of profiles to be shared how you can explain some personality profiles and what people really need to thrive. How Alan works best. What's your personal prescription plan? How does Trage work best, right? Yeah. And then we can understand that about one another so that, as you said, you might not like one another, but you can respect one another. Yeah. Well, I think we've got both. <laughs> yeah, when you think about just how much time one spends at work, the idea of working productively and, and also liking that person and, but objectively and just keeping yeah. that, that's a human, it's a need, well, I would suggest. You know, but once you have more empathy for somebody's yeah. needs, you might like them more, right? Yeah, you right. might be able to like them more uh, if yeah. you have some empathy about their human experience. Yeah, empathy is in short supply, I found in workplaces. It's in short supply. It's like, get on with it. Debate an issue, but still have some empathy to that person's experience. Mm. And that's it. And, you know, and, and I wonder why we've become like this, but that could be for another, uh, another discussion. <laughs> yes. We hope you enjoyed that episode of Why Work. You've been listening to Trage, Sarah and Alan. If you'd like to know more about some of the things we've talked about today, please subscribe and we'd be more than happy to provide you with information, names of cases and other things that may interest you. Please be aware that none of the matters we've talked about today should be construed as legal advice or any type of advice. We're just here to talk about all things related to work. See you next time.